Welcome to the Traveling Image Makers Podcast, your source of inspiration about travel photography. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the ride as we bring you on a tour around the world with our guests. This is the Traveling Image Makers Podcast, and I'm your host, Ugo Chai. Uh, today we don't have our usual co-host on the show, Ralph Velasco, because uh, he's uh, traveling. So he'll be back next week for another interview. Uh, but uh, I didn't want to to reschedule this uh, this interview with the, the guest that we have this week because uh, we had already planned to do this interview months ago and then uh, events happened and get it, got in the way, to put it mildly. It sure and did. We, we had to, to reschedule. So finally, I would like to welcome back uh, uh, Aaron Babnik, who has been our guest in episode 30. And Erin is an international uh, photographer and traveler and work workshop leader, instructor, educator based out of California and Slovenia. And Erin, welcome. And I think you're right now in Slovenia, right? I am. And thank you very much, Hugo. It's really nice to be here. So you were uh, with us in episode 30. As I said, that's been, uh, wow, that's uh, almost three years ago. Wow, has it been that long? It's been a long time. That was one of uh, my favorite interviews on the show. So I wanted oh, to... Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> I wanted to have you back. We had this uh, this interview scheduled for a few months ago and then uh, something happened. And you just... Uh, I remember you emailed me and I said, uh, uh, basically, sorry, we'll have to reschedule my interview because I've been evacuated from my home. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, th thanks for taking the time to, to write me. Now, not many people would have the the time and the consideration to say, okay, I've got been evacuated from my home. I don't know if my home will be still be there when I go back and still yeah. have the time to, to write an email. So that's very, very much appreciated. And, uh, uh, well, and I actually had two interviews, a podcast interview scheduled that day. You were one of two and I did email both of you. Um, and uh, as it turns out, that house was completely incinerated just hours after I sent that email. Yeah, that, that's really that's really sad. So do you want to tell the story of uh, of that event? Um, sure. Yeah. So uh, at the time I had written that email to you, um, I was sort of reluctantly leaving the house thinking that for sure this was just um, a complete waste of time. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I had so much work to do and so much planned for that day. Um, but I had I had um, I had gotten out of bed that morning, having seen this incredible red glow coming through my bedroom window, and thinking it was a beautiful sunrise light. And uh, I ran over to my kitchen where I had a, a small uh, little Canon mirrorless camera, the little uh, M50. It's my kind of my little um, handy uh, shoot everything little camera that I keep out in handy. So I ran out, and grabbed that went outside and uh, started taking pictures of what I thought was this really cool sunrise in this new house that I just, mm -hmm. <laughs> outside this new house I just moved into only seven days before that. And uh, I was not familiar with the weather patterns or much of, all of this town at all. It just it was a whole new town and everything for me. So I thought, wow, this place is amazing. Look at this incredible cloud overhead. You know, I, I've never seen clouds like this before. <laughs> mm -hmm. And... Um, so I went back inside 
put the camera away and about 10 minutes passed while I started to make some breakfast and boil some coffee. And I, uh, I went down the hallway and passed uh, the bathroom and I could see through that window an even more intense red glow. It was just the whole bathroom was filled with this incredible light. And I thought, wow, that's really amazing. Usually sunrise color, you know, it wanes. It doesn't get stronger 10 minutes later. So, wow, this place is just amazing. I'm going to go get the camera again, go back outside. (laughs) So that time um, I went outside and it was even more impressive, this incredible, very, very low, very, very red cloud. And I saw this woman across the street backing out of her driveway and uh, waving to her husband out the window of her car as she's pulling into the street and saying, honey, um, just just so you know, there's a there's some really bad fire smoke out here. And then he was he'd like come out to get the newspaper or something. He was on the front porch and she drives away. And I thought, what? That's crazy. Fire smoke. What makes you think that? (laughs) So I thought just to be prudent, I'll go inside and and uh, see if I can find anything about any fires in the area. And sure enough, I found something, a very, very small one, pretty far away. Uh, only, I, I've forgotten now, 30 acres, or it was something really small at the time, and it wasn't very close. But it was close enough to for that smoke to come wafting over. And, uh, and I thought, hmm, well, I'm probably in no danger here. And uh, then commenced this period of maybe an hour or so of trying to decide what I should do about this. <laughs> uh, ultimately, the neighbor um, decided to drive away in his car and see what was going on. And he saw flames and he came roaring back and, and just announcing to everyone, get out now. And I still couldn't see any frames, flames. And I was still thinking, okay, well, it's nowhere near my house. And my house is way up high and out of the way. And there's no way I'm in any trouble here. And I've I've just spent all of this time moving into this house. It's exhausted every bit of my time for the last week because I just moved in and I'd unpacked everything. Just moved there. and <laughs> yeah. I, I think you just had your furniture delivered. Oh, yeah. I had, everything was brand new. Mm-hmm. I had moved out of this tiny little studio uh, apartment. Actually, it was a little converted carriage house in Berkeley. So I had had to purchase all brand new everything. I'd furnished five rooms. I purchased pots and pans and carpets and you name it, everything you need to finish a house. And I was very eager to get it all set up to be the perfect home studio. I was going to live there alone. Every single room was just going to be completely set up for my photography business. I had the printing room, the gear room, you know, everything. It was great. I had my office all set up so that I could start producing videos and well, it was almost all set up. Anyway, I was, I was pretty well done with things. Every box was unpacked and that that was exhausting in a lot of time so in my head you know there was no way it was going to start like un you know removing things and and putting it all in my car because I just packed it and put unpacked it and put it away (laughs) yeah so um it's just one of these completely surreal kinds of things you just uh it sometimes truth is stranger than fiction you know it it was really really uh, bizarre and so I I did evacuate but not with much I just took um, my camera bag, my laptop, and I had the clothes on my back. I had a little overnight bag that d- just had toiletries in it. And that was that. And I, and then I drove away in a, a big station wagon with lots of room in there, you know, thinking that oh, all that stuff's going to be there tomorrow. This will just be a, you know, a huge mm-hmm. waste of time. And then I'll, I'll be back tomorrow. I was sure of it. <laughs> yeah. But that, that, uh, that then started a period of about three hours of trying to get out of that town which was uh, 
pretty harrowing. Um, at, at that point, it got went from being um, a, a nuisance to being a nightmare. Uh, driving through fire and all of that uh, became very dangerous and very scary. Um, when I finally got to safety, the fire was right behind us. Uh, the whole the whole town had, had managed to evacuate pretty well, all, all except for about 88 people who did die in that fire. Uh, but I have a town of 27,000. That's um, yeah. that's surprising that more didn't uh, perish. But anyway, so uh, the fire was right behind us. And by the time I'd gotten to the next town where I took refuge in a hotel, the fire was uh, again threatening me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I had to evacuate a second time from that hotel. Uh, and then and then I just drove uh, seven hours south to my mother's house uh, and took refuge with her. But yeah, it it was um you know it was one of those things where uh, it really was a major disruption in the in the long run. It has been so far to to just about everything. But um, thanks to uh, a lot of help from the photography community and just to I guess a lot of fortitude and just you know determination, I've um, I've been able to. Um, pretty much rise out of it i i still don't have a home <laughs> but uh, but that's not as big of a problem for me as it might be for someone who works full-time out of their house the, the end the end of the story was that you you lost the house i, I think the house yeah. wasn't yours maybe it was no right no there. i was renting the house but uh, still you so, lost yeah. everything that was in, it was yours everything. that was inside the house and you lost the place to to live at least temporarily Right, yeah. and I guess the the worst part, uh, from what I understand, was for a few days not knowing if your house was still there or not. I think that that was oh, that must have been that really, was brutal. That was, that really was about a full week. Yeah. So yeah. So right now you found you found another house. No, no, no. Uh, no. <laughs> I've been uh, on the road uh, pretty much this whole time, uh, mostly. St- just either workshopping or staying in hotels. Um, I've always kept a small little office in Slovenia. There wasn't, a, it, and that's what I'm in right now. Yeah. It's it, it didn't used to be very well equipped. It didn't even have a computer in it. But now it's all I've got. So um, I'm making do with this uh, for little bits of time, more time than I would normally spend here. Now, um, yeah. um, in terms of loss, of course, uh, you didn't lose the house because it wasn't yours you could always rent another one of course mm-hmm. financials <laughs> uh, permitting uh, but you lost everything that was inside the house including yeah. the furniture that you had just bought which was not yet insured but yeah. also uh, what what you got your camera back did you did you have all of your equipment in the bag did you leave behind some cameras lenses or yeah computers? i did lose i did oh i lost uh most all my gear i, yeah. I, I lost a total of something like fifty thousand dollars worth <laughs> of stuff but the um a lot of the uh i did have insurance on my business items yeah. so Unfortunately, the vast majority of what was in that house that I had just purchased was all stuff that was, you know, furniture and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the, the actual gear was all insured. And so even the things that I did lose, um, I actually still don't, I haven't finished with the claims and everything, but um, supposedly I can get I something back from that. Yeah. 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 Uh, and what about images? I mean, you you can always replace a camera, right? If you have the money, at least. Yeah. But what about images? Did you lose discs of images and so on? So, uh, did you recover all of them? 
Well, yeah, the short answer is I didn't actually in the end lose a single image mm-hmm. uh, thanks to being pretty well set up with my backup strategy. So I had, uh, I've always kept off-site drives, on-site drives, and files in the cloud. And thanks to having all of that, um, I didn't lose anything because the off-site drives hadn't been updated since, I I think it had been three months or four months or something like that. Um, But they had the oldest archives, stuff that isn't all in the cloud. Um, and then all the stuff in the cloud was bang up to date. Even I had just shot uh, the evening after I unpacked my last box. I ran out and celebrated by uh, photographing the sunset with about five minutes away from my house, mm. my new house. <laughs> and uh, that stuff I immediately put in, uh, put on my hard drives at, in the off- new office, and it all went right up into the cloud. So I didn't even lose that. So can you describe maybe a little bit more in detail your backup strategy? I think people are really interested in yeah. in knowing a bit more how can they personally avoid that, that kind of situation should it happen, anything yeah. like that. Yeah, um, I'll be happy to. So I have um, I had lots of on-site drives that were all um, set up in case, you know, I have like a hard drive crash or something like that. Um, but if something should happen, you know, like what happened to me, a real disaster, or if you should have someone come in and, uh, steal your computer or something, um, that's not so helpful, especially if they take all the drives. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I also had Backblaze, a service that is constantly backing up everything on my computer to the cloud, um, without me having to even think about it. So it's just always doing that. Anytime something hits a drive, it goes up into the cloud. It takes about four months, or it took me about four months to get everything up there uh, the first time. But then it was it's just sort of this seamless ongoing project that kind of ha- goes on in the background. Uh, then the off-site drives I had at Synology NAS uh, still do. And that, because that's all, that's all, I kept it uh, here in Slovenia, Mm-hmm. And all I had to do is come here, plug in. I, I traveled with a Mac Mini, and I would bring the Mac Mini over to the NAS. And every so often, I, I'm not here that much, but you know, I would plug into the NAS and get all of my drives uploaded to that. So that was my offsite backup strategy. And since I've been putting everything on that NAS, it had everything going back to my like the earliest files I've ever <laughs> wanted to keep. Um, so everything, absolutely everything was on that NAS, except for the last maybe three months. Mm-hmm. And, and because that was in the cloud, I lost nothing. Yeah, yeah cool. Uh, so your off-site backup is in Slovenia, which is kind of the, yeah. the other side of the world if you need some, yeah. some of that. Yeah, well, so it's a little hard to... <laughs> now it's in the cloud, right, anyway. So you can always, uh, <laughs> if you have bandwidth, you can you can grab it quickly, I, I guess. Yeah, I'm, I'm still... Uh, I'm still missing the off-site part of it. I mean, I've got an on-site backup uh, and the cloud, but I'm still missing the off-site part of it. So probably yeah. should, should think about it. Uh, it's. Uh, I, I know we have the cloud, but uh, it's always uh, on somebody else's uh, servers, right? It, yeah. It could go away. I mean, I'm, I'm using Amazon at the moment. True. You never know the. Amazon, of course, is not going to close shop tomorrow, but uh, who knows? I mean, smaller no, company something might. That, um, something that can happen, I think, would be if you were, say, to have some kind of corruption issue yeah. and you don't realize that you've been backing up corrupted files or yeah. something like that, 
and then that's all you have, you know, so it just helps to have this other backup, <laughs> you know, the offsite one. Yeah, you don't, you um, don't want your uh, backup to the cloud to also backup deletions. Right. <laughs> because yeah. then you, <laughs> yeah. by mistake, delete a whole drive, <laughs> and then the deletion gets propagated to the cloud, and oops. <laughs> yeah. And do you, do you frequently do restores from the cloud or so on? Because one thing that I'm worried is, I've got all those files up there, but would, would I really be able to record them and find a specific file and so on? I'm always a bit... Oh, uh, yeah, that's not... another part of it that I'm happy to talk about. So that was actually very easy. What um, what Backblaze does is sends you hard drives in the mail. Oh, cool. <laughs> and so they just sent me everything on a couple of hard drives. Um, uh, so you can also you know, go file by file if you want to. There is a way you can log into their service and just get a single file um, out of the cloud. Um, but yeah, getting everything back could not have been easier. Just yeah. tell them I need it, <laughs> that the computer has been destroyed. Uh, please send that stuff. And they did. I've been taught as part of my IT background that there are no good backups. There yeah. are only good restores. <laughs> so um, you, 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 you never have uh, confidence that your backup is good until you've tried restoring it. Yeah, and I, I had that happen in practice. I mean, database backups were that were completely unreadable. I said, "Well, we have backups," and I said, "Did you ever try restoring those backups and see if they really work?" Yeah. <laughs> and turned out that they were. Yeah, I was I was very uh, nervous until those drives came, wondering yeah. what all was actually on them. What was I really getting back here? Um, but it was basically just everything, how I had it organized, how I had it uh, on a drive formatted so that I could just plug it in and use it. It was great. So, and you said you had a great support from the, the photography community. Uh, I think you're also part of a, a group of photographers. You collaborate. Is that the, the Photo Cascadia? Yeah. Right. So then, that, uh, how exactly would that support? If you if you want to share some details, I mean you don't have sure, to. Sure. Yeah. But um, just uh, how that support worked in practice, that support network. Yeah. Well, the first thing is you have to be willing to accept it, which I wasn't actually. I'll admit, at first I I really rejected the idea of people helping me. I'm fiercely independent, and I'm not used to that sort of thing. I was, you know, moving up in the world and very very proud of uh, all the hard work that I had done to get to that point where I could have that house and do these things. Uh, and the very thought that I needed help from anyone uh, was crushing, uh, to be honest, at first. Uh, but, you know, you just have to realize that people want to help. You know, they need to help. Uh, and uh, when I finally just sort of leaned into that support and accepted it, uh, you know, I was really glad that I did. And it was a, sort of a, a way of a new way of thinking for me <laughs> that, OK, I'm, I'm going to have to just sort of let these people catch me. Um, it and it and it helped a lot. The um, when finally when I accepted the help from the team, they sent up, set up a uh, GoFundMe account, mm -hmm. and uh, that brought in more than half of uh, my losses with the the furniture and everything. And um, I also lost about half of my uh, annual income because I had to cancel a whole bunch of workshops. Mm -hmm. But nonetheless, just having that bit of help, which was 
pretty substantial um, enabled me to keep going. You know, yeah. I'm not wiped out, I'm not destitute. So that, that helped a ton. In addition, there were all sorts of little moments of amazing generosity that really just buoyed my spirit that uh, kept me very, very strong. And I think that was just as important as a financial help to have that. And that came from sponsors. It came from complete strangers, uh, really all over the world. Just this enormous, enormous outpouring of uh, support of all sorts. It was it was staggering, really, and and really humbling. And uh, yeah, I'm immensely grat- grateful for all of that. It's it's really what's uh, enabled me to just keep going and and have the hope that uh, I will have all those things I was working towards with that house. Now, you know, I, I don't believe in things uh, such as karma and so on, but I think you've, from the little that I know about you, you've always been a generous per- person, at least in terms of what you, you share with the world, your, your, in terms of your knowledge, at least. I don't know about your private life or anything. And, and seeing that it comes back in a way, right? It's uh, people feel that you, that you are generous and then they, will, they want to give back. Uh, at all times, I think that's uh, that's great. Thank you, Hugo. That's very kind of you to say. <laughs> You're welcome. So uh, now you started traveling and giving workshops again. Uh, can you just maybe um, tell us a little bit about where you've been recently? Where you planning to to go next? Uh, you're right now in Slovenia. Uh, are you doing? Uh, that's your second home, or uh, yeah. So to speak. Uh, so in yeah. terms of travels and in terms of establishing yourself back in some place uh, stable, do you have any mm-hmm. plans about that? Um, yeah, well, I don't even know what town I'm going to live in because my town got completely wiped off the map, my new town of paradise, California. Uh, and it was really perfect for me. So I'm going to have to, as soon as my schedule settles down a little bit, I'm going to have to just drive around and visit towns and decide where, where I want to live before I even get a chance to find an actual house. Um, but what I've been doing uh, since the fire, which happened November 8, has been a lot of workshops. I've done uh, seven of them, at least in that time. And uh, I just finished a run of six of them back to back to back to back, which was pretty nuts. Um, but that's kept me really busy. And it's also give me, given me some sense of normalcy because during my workshop periods, I'm never at home anyway. So it felt kind of, you know, just I'm back into the routine. This is what I do. Um, I also did a big project for Canon that was some assignment work that um, I maybe wouldn't have done had it not been for the fire. And so that was um, actually something that turned out to be a kind of a very pleasant surprise. Uh, they had contacted me with about some new uh, unreleased gear, if, wondering if I'd want to show the world what it could do. And uh, I had I don't I haven't done assignment work since, oh my gosh, like 2011 or something like that. So um, I... I was a little bit hesitant, but okay, you know, I've got three three days, and they're gonna drop all this gear on me, and I've gotta <laughs> produce something like a dozen photos. Uh, uh, so I thought, okay, I'm all right. It just since my life had already been kind of turned upside down, and I now had a little bit of uh, time in that period. I thought, okay, why not? And I did it, and um, and actually that went absolutely winningly it went over so well that Canon made it a, a feature on their um, the homepage of the canon usa website which was great Uh, so i've had all those sorts of things uh going on and um 
I've forgotten the second half of your question there. <laughs> you asked about the workshops and then... Yeah, if you have any travels coming up uh, soon. I know you're in Europe now. So uh, we, we talked recently uh, when we were scheduling this call, you were in Death Valley, but now you're in Europe. Is Are you planning to do workshops oh. in Europe now? So people maybe... Uh, I know they would, you have pretty much all of them are sold out, but... Yeah, right idea. now they are. Yeah. <laughs> Which is um, a great place to be. <laughs> yeah. Um it, well they are because I uh, they're all they they always all sell out, fortunately, but um I also did have to cut everything in the second half of the year because I just could not do the administration on the new workshops um without my office. So um that said I do have two more coming up in Europe. One is in the French Alps and one is in the Dolomites, my summer Dolomites workshops. I uh kept one of those. And um, I'm going to be adding a Death Valley masterclass in December, and I'll have that up on my website soon, along with my 2020 schedule, which is going to be back on in full force. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'll be announcing that soon. Uh, but yeah, right now I'm uh, spending time just trying to use this little office as a real office. And uh, I'll be headed back uh, to the United States in about five weeks because I'm giving a talk for Canon down in Los Angeles. And then I've got a little workshop that I'm doing with them. Um, And uh, yeah, and then I think I'm right back to Europe uh, about a week after that. (laughs) My usual. Always on the road. Yeah, exactly. Speaking of the Dolomites, when when is your workshop there? Uh, that one is the first week of July. First week of July. Uh, I was recently, recently that was in January in the Dolomites, only for a couple of days. And I went there, I had one of your photos in my mind that I wanted, I mean, not, not to replicate because, I mean, uh, you need uh, uh, conditions need to be pretty much the same to replicate, but I wanted to, to get at least uh-huh. something similar. I think it's titled Backdraft. Oh, yeah, Yeah, winter. Yeah, yeah, that's a lovely photo. So I was there in winter. Nice. I was thinking maybe I I could get something like that. And uh, unfortunately, we couldn't. I mean, in order to get that photo, that's taken at sunrise. Yeah. And I think you overnighted in in a mountain hut there. We did. Actually, the the reason that photo is actually going to be tough to replicate because I had a a, a little benefit going there and that the hut that's right next to that spot was closed, which mm-hmm. is unusual and I'm not sure why it was. But because of that, the area around the hut was pristine. There were no footprints mm-hmm. or tracks of any sort. Nobody was going there. Uh, I was there. Whew, I did two winter workshops this year and with both of my groups, I went there and in both cases, uh, we did have to work around quite a lot of footprints. It was still a lot of fun and we found lots to do, but that sort of photo where I was making use of the sastrugi as a foreground element would be a lot harder to do with the hut open right there. So yeah, I was staying at another hut that was up higher and I, it was about an hour of snowshoeing uh, for me to take that photo, but with the benefit of having no one around. <laughs> so th- that photo required snow on the ground with mm-hmm. no footprints. Yeah, and wind. lots of wind and a great sunrise (laughs) and being there. So for me, uh, I could not overnight in the hut because of uh, timing reasons for our, Mm. the way we organized the trip, we could not be there at night. uh, We had the wind, it was very strong wind on that Mm. day we were there, but we had almost no snow on the ground. (laughs) So maybe we'll we'll have to try again, we'll see. Yeah, when I was there uh, with my first group, a whole bunch of snow had just dumped. Um, I think it was something like 
two meters in a few days or something like that. So there was there was a lot of snow. And by the time my second group got there, it was a bit melted, but still quite a lot. We, we didn't have a lot of snow this winter, at, mm. at least in the first part yeah. of the winter. It's been pretty dry. Uh, so I think there was more snow starting in February, March and so on there. Yes. Yeah. But as always, typically is uh, January, beginning of January, yeah. at least in these years with, uh, I don't know if it's climate change or anything, but it's uh, it's typically very dry, not a lot of snow. Yeah. I know people were skiing there in the Dolomites and all the. It was cold, mm-hmm. and so but all the, the snow on the on the pistes was uh, artificial snow. So yeah, but we still got a, a few nice shots of the area. Really wanting to go back soon. Well, a bunch more snow just fell. Just about another meter, supposedly. Is what mm. I I haven't yeah. been there yet, but yeah, at I least heard. on the other side of the Alps. I'm pretty sure I don't know about this side, but uh, maybe I'll check. Good. Uh, and yeah, and also Slovenia is on the other side of the Alps or nearby uh, at the foot of the of the Alps. Uh, I would like to uh, you to uh, say a little bit more about this country, because I think uh, we had a, a couple of guests talking about Slovenia in the past, but uh, it's always nice to to have more of a perspective. I, I don't think you do workshops there, but you do. No, uh, I get asked about that a lot. <laughs> Um, I, you know, I kind of cut my teeth as a landscape photographer, uh, so to speak, uh, in Slovenia. And I started doing my landscape work here. Mm-hmm. And I did a lot of it. And I just kind of got over it. <laughs> so uh, maybe I'll get back to it. But it's funny. It's, it's the one place I kind of don't do a whole lot of photography anymore. But it's a beautiful country. And there is a lot, there is a lot here to offer landscape photographers, mountains, rivers, um, the, the wine country, a lot of there's a lot of variety for such a tiny little country. Yeah, yeah. So it's so close to home for me, relatively, yeah. but uh, it's a country that I have seen very little of it. I should really come maybe when you're there, I'll come and visit. You're I, very welcome. If I can find a, <laughs> a weekend to go there. Um, uh, one more thing, uh, and this is just recent, so it was not, I wasn't thinking of uh, talking about this, but uh, just I think yesterday I saw you uh, mentioning this article um, on social media. Uh, I find it uh, really interesting. And it's an article about compositional patterns worth finding in nature, yes. which is, I think, is a segue on a previous article that you published years ago where you cataloged some uh, compositional yeah. patterns indeed that yeah. can be found uh, in nature. Mm-hmm. And I found it really interesting because, I mean, it, it, every time you hear people talk about composition, they usually talk about uh, rule of thirds or the golden section, <laughs> leading lines, uh, and not very much outside of it, right? Yeah. So uh, you go beyond that to find more intriguing yeah, compositions. <laughs> maybe just list them or talk a little bit more about them. Give some yeah, sure. tips um, about how to learn to record because you, you're not creating those compositions. In most cases, you're just finding them because they're in nature. So maybe some tips about how to find those compositions in nature. And, yeah, the, uh, the original article is one of my most popular ever. And I think it's because I was able to produce a useful article on composition that never once mentions leading lines or the rule of thirds. (laughs) 
instead, what I did was talk about basic grand forms and structures that that certain types of compositions tend to have in common, um, or or can at least that tend to work well um, for a lot of uh, goals. So the first article all dealt with the typical kind of scenic style of landscape photograph, where you have a sort of clear visual hierarchy and a and a front to back flow. That's you know very conventional for a scenic landscape photograph. The second article that I just put out yesterday uh, deals with just the opposite. Um, photographs that most people might call small scenes or abstracts, uh, photos that more suggest an environment than actually sort of describe it and put you there, so to speak, you know? So um, totally different um, scheme in each case, but uh, what I what I you know what they have in common these two articles was my approach of coming up with patterns that were kind of memorable and with little uh, schematic pictograms to kind of help people remember what the essence of that pattern is. Um, so they're not necessarily visual patterns uh, across the board. In the first case, they are the um, uh, the first article. They're more visual. But the patterns in the little pictograms, it's not like you're looking for exactly this. It's just it's more so an idea of how the visual flow can work in, in an image. And, and the, the little icons are representative of that idea. In the second article, very much so idea based. Um, so, uh, for example, one of them I called uh, the binary and that would be when you have a couple of things in, in the frame that register as being opposing uh, or opposite or at least uh, in some way setting each other off, you know, the thing and the foil to the thing. Uh, and so if, if you have these kinds of like neat, tidy little ideas in mind, I think it makes it easier when you're going out and you're looking for a composition to actually find something <laughs> um, rather than working too hard on all of those little particulars like you know is this thing is the rule of thirds here is it is it uh, you know things that are uh, so analytical you know starting from sort of more like an idea or a goal rather than these kind of um, analytical um, structures that all need to work together in my view if what you're trying to do with a composition is sort of communicate to the viewer the essence of uh, your intention. And so these are all little intentional ideas that you can take with you out into the field that I think are, are applicable in a lot of cases and really easy to use. Yeah. Uh, do you think that your your background in arts, I mean, you have a training as a, in, in the field of fine arts and so on, uh, helped you um, in find those uh, those compositions those patterns those ideas uh, more easily than somebody who who doesn't have that kind of background and maybe you think it's worthwhile for for a photographer to get some kind of education outside of the photography field into the the art or painting or any other type of arts 100 percent. yeah i actually have a pretty substantial background in the arts. So I'm, I was a painter, I was also a graphic designer, and I was an art historian. Uh, so I, I have a just, art has been the one constant in my entire adult life. Actually, my entire life, <laughs> I would say. And um, that's really, really helpful. So I definitely encourage people to, if if not practice other art forms, at least look at a lot of them, go out to museums and, and take in, absorb as much as you can, for sure. I think at least one thing that 
correct me if I'm wrong, but that would help uh, photographers in this respect if they went more to museums and and looked at other forms of art, is that maybe there would be less imitation of other photographers. Because if you all do is look at the work of other photographers, then you end up probably being influenced, if not outright imitating uh, what is typical in photography, what is the creative yeah, approach of a photographer, as, which might be different from what a graphic designer or a painter has. Yeah, um, I'm glad you brought that up because um, I would agree with you. I'd probably go even one step further, though. Um, one of the notions that's kind of floating around out there that that some people um, uh, profess is, an, is this idea of visual celibacy, which means that you mm-hmm. don't look at other people's photography or whatever. And I, because in, in, the, in that case, there's this idea that if you if you do look at other photographs, that you'll be um, somehow, you know, driven to do only what other people yeah. are doing. I, I actually believe just the opposite, which is that uh, if if you feel as though you're drawn to do what other people are doing, it's not because you're looking at their photographs, it's because you're not looking at enough other photographs. Mm. <laughs> you need to be looking at more. And if you see something that really grabs you and that you want to go out and try to emulate, that's telling you something about you. And it's, I think, a very helpful thing to work through those ideas so that what you end up doing when you go out is you you may start out doing something that is highly uh, emulative or even um, a copy. But what eventually will happen as you work through stuff is that you you have a response to it and you come up, come up with something that is sort of extending that dialogue, um, extending that conversation, having something more to say about whatever the original photograph was trying to accomplish rather than producing you know, a slavish copy of it. I think that is inevitable what's going to happen if you you look at a lot of photographs and a lot of other types of art, uh, you just have a lot kicking around in your brain that can just come to work for you when you when you go out. Absolutely. I mean, I completely agree. I I read about this uh, idea of visual celibacy and it initially appealed to me, but then I realized that it's uh, I think it's much better, as you said, uh, to be exposed to as much art as possible. Yeah. And not not just photography, uh, Mm -hmm. all forms of art, including maybe music. I mean, there's a lot of probably music that would help in uh, uh, not directly, but indirectly in uh, finding things like harmony and repetitive patterns in nature and so on. Mm that sometimes uh, they, they look musical to, at least to my eye. <laughs> yeah, I mean, music is patterns too. Yeah, yeah. so great. Glad, glad that we agree on this, I mean, <laughs> absolutely. Okay, um, I think I don't want to uh, have you uh, waste more of your time. In this, oh, not so at all, speak, it's been a pleasure. It's been a, yeah, it's been a, uh, it's been a pleasure talking to you again, uh, finally. Um, uh, hope you you will settle down somewhere that uh, it's a bit more stable in the yeah. future. <laughs> Maybe in a uh, in a little island in the middle of the lake, so there are no fires around. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds wonderful, actually. 
<laughs> that could be an idea. Uh, anything else you would like to, to say or just uh, where people can find you online for those few who don't know you uh, already? Yeah, um, com. That's E-R-I-N-B-A-B-N-I-K.com. Uh, and there you can find everything about my upcoming talks, workshops, and a listing of all of my articles. And a whole lot of other things actually there's a lot of content on the website yeah yeah it's a, it's a great resource um, uh, keep uh, whenever you post something on, on social media links to your articles I know it's uh, it's going to be good oh thank you so thanks for <laughs> being so generous with your knowledge as we as we said before well thanks very much for having me Ugo and for your thoughtful questioning as always oh you're welcome and thanks for coming and for your time and uh, until next time Let's get out and shoot. Sounds good. Before closing this episode, I would just like to remind everyone that you can find the show notes for this one and all the previous one at our website at ttim.photo. And as for me, you can find everything about me at my website, ucphoto.me. And for my co-host, Ralph Velasco, who will soon be with us again, uh, you can find everything about him at photoenrichment.com and on social media as at photoenrichment and at Ralph Velasco. Thanks for listening and until next time, all the best and take care.